You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 3, educators discuss safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. Your host for Season 3 is OEA member and school counselor, Leonie Bannister. Hello, everybody. I'm Leonie Bannister, and we're back for another season three podcast for safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. I'm here today with a few folks from Basic Rights Oregon, and they're going to be introducing themselves now. Who's going first? (laughs) I'll go first. Hi, everybody. My name is Joe Xavier Doyle. I use they, them pronouns. I am the Leadership Development and Training Program Manager here at Basic Rights Oregon. I'll pass it over to Gabby. Hi, everyone. My name is Gabby Gardiner, and I use they, them, theirs pronouns. I am the Statewide Engagement Manager for Basic Rights Oregon. Hello, everybody. My name is Seth Johnstone. I use he and him pronouns, and I am the Transgender Justice Program Manager at Basic Rights Oregon. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your introductions. Would one of you be able to uh, describe to us and tell us a little bit about the work that Basic Rights Oregon is doing? Absolutely. They're, they're um, rock, paper, scissors. Our organization, right our organization, you know, Basic Rights Oregon works to ensure that all LGBTQIA2S plus individuals in Oregon experience both legal and lived equality. Um, so our goal is really to build a politically powerful movement, which can look like education and shifting public opinion through our own narratives being visible, um, achieving policy victories so that students and teachers and adults and individuals in our cities are protected um, by policies and protections, um, and then really working to build community coalitions and champion this fight together uh, with lots of community partners. So our work is you know, intersectional and connected and woven throughout the state. Um, And we want to connect with every corner and community and, you know, group that needs us. And so we know the needs of folks when we go to the legislative spaces that we go to. So would you say that is Basic Rights Oregon a an advocacy group like at the policy level? Does it sit pretty high in the chain of advocacy for the LGBTQI2S plus population or? Yeah, maybe you could delve a little bit into that, maybe how that connects to those of us who are, you know, working in schools here in the K-12 system. Yeah, actually. So um, as Seth was saying before, we invest in both lived and legal equality for mm-hmm. the greater LGBTQ plus population across the state. So that looks like two things. Most folks know us as the legis- for the legislative work that we do. So um, the state of Oregon was actually one of the worst states when it came to LGBTQ plus protections in the, in the 70s and 80s. And that actually ignited and sparked the birth of Basic Rights Oregon in 1996. And since then we have turned it around and we are actually one of the best states that has some of the best legislative protections across the country. And so that's some of the work that a lot of us know us for, but we also invest in the lived equality. And so we do education programming and training so that folks in schools, 
folks in city and government offices, folks in workplaces, both public sector, private sector, health sector, can get education on how to be more affirming to the greater LGBTQ plus population. And that's really the work that I invest in here at Basic Rights, along with our transgender and gender uh, diverse specific leadership program. Um, and again, that's more invested in like the, the lived equality side and uh, having folks get to experience a year long cohort where they're building up their skills in advocacy, in community organizing, and you know, getting connected um, amongst other trans and gender diverse folks all across the, the state. And I'll let these other two friends of mine um, further explain the work that they do and how this can relate to uh, the folks that are on the call uh, with, the, with OEA. What are some of the things that you all supporting the LBGTQI2S plus population what are you seeing at the state level and even within school districts without naming them, to be honest, um, but that is impacting that population? Hopefully there is it sounds like it's trending upward in a positive way, but maybe highlighting some of the challenges you're also facing. I'd I think it'd be great if we could hear both perspectives there. Yeah, we are actually seeing a lot of challenges right now on local school board races. We know that the center right has had very coordinated efforts to mobilize um, homophobic and transphobic sentiments and policies within a school district level. And we are seeing that a lot more in our state than we used to. Actually, a lot of our statewide work um, is different from what our local school board race work looks like. And that has definitely been shifting over the course of a year or two. And so we are seeing things around um, misinformation on inclusive sex ed curriculum policies to um, gender inclusive and neutral um, accessible facilities, restrooms, mm -hmm. locker rooms. Oftentimes we see um, LGBTQ2SIA plus student identities being politicized um, and in a negative light that it shouldn't be included within curriculum, it shouldn't be included within policies to um, have affirming um, places for them to go within the district. And so we are having to mobilize a lot of efforts for families and um, kids within that district who are recognizing that this is problematic and that we need to have a stronger effort in um, making sure that these are safe spaces for students. Oftentimes schools are one of the only safe spaces for kids to um, convene. And so we wanna make sure that we're creating a space where um, it can be more inclusive and representative of the identities that they hold. Mm -hmm. Wow, I mean, that's a big, it sounds like a very big task to take on and yet one that is I mean, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I feel like health curriculum especially has come around um, to a place where it's in my 20 years of counseling is much more inclusive, maybe hasn't reached. And I am in Corvallis, I must say, where it's um, we seem to hold more inclusive values perhaps than others. But um, it sounds like there's some places that are just not respecting the, the needs of there's our students. It's, it's, you know, for them to get the information that they need. I mean, when you use a word like misinformation, it, that worries me because that's, that's wrong. 
So maybe maybe another could share their perspective on that also. And and it, this is can be an honest space. I mean, I want it's important that we understand the challenges that you all are facing. Yeah, I'd love to speak to that a little bit and echo what Gabby said. Um, in my role in the trans justice program, I think we have a lot of folks reach out to us and let us know that um, they're concerned about, you know, even the uh, campaigns that we saw in the recent governor race and some of the, you know, messages and statements and sentiments in those campaigns were that if elected, trans youth would be banned from sports. And, you know, as somebody who grew up in educational spaces, accessing sports teams, that was a place where I learned teamwork. That was a place where I learned to play. Um, that was a place where I learned healthy relationships and, you know, balancing, you know, taking up space with peers and to see folks um, in Oregon specifically who want to hold leadership um, speaking about students' access to public space and talking about legislating them out of public space, uh, it, it brings up a lot of concerns for our families, for our students, um, and I want them to have access to the opportunities that they need to, to build, you know, healthy relationships with their peers and that could be their career one day. So I hope that we never see um, those types of things come to fruition. Um, so again, yeah, it's a lot of hearing from our families and having that reflexive relationship with students and those families that are letting us know what's happening on the local level. Mm -hmm. And anything from you, Joe, that offers some deeper insights from Gabby and Seth? Yeah, I mean, it, both my my fellow colleagues definitely, you know, got hit 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 the nail on the head there. Um, I just think, you know, as some, I I kind of echo I echo both and. I think we're also seeing across various school districts the remove, like the actual visible removal of LGBTQ plus youth, and and honestly the intersection of BIPOC youth and LGBTQ plus youth as well. Um, without naming names, we're we're seeing the removal of visible, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, visible representation, and. In terms of support, whether it's a you know flags and um, and t-shirts that that can show students that you know this teacher has their back, um, this teacher supports them, the school supports them, and to let to not have that visible representation of pride flags and Black Lives Matter flags. And when I say BIPOC, that uh, stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, and to have that visible removal of showing that we are supportive of these identities is just, you're trying to remove people and who they are and their identities. That's not mm -hmm. safe and that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Um, if you were to kind of drill down to some tools or strategies or, or action, action that any classroom teacher or school administrator, any school staff could do to really affirm the identity of the LBGTQI2S plus learners in our buildings. I mean, are, are there a few that we could take away um, from our talk today that that we can can do to improve the circumstances of those that that may be, you know, feeling disenfranchised or disconnected from the school? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for I know, yeah, Seth, you can piggyback. I know you got a bunch. <laughs> uh, but first and foremost, we always, in, in our trainings, in our educational training sessions, we always start with 
It's about interpersonal relationships and, and getting to know people and respecting folks on an individual level, on a humanistic level. And so at the very first and foremost important thing is getting to know your students, which is what you know, what, what teachers' jobs are, right? We're getting to know one another to build upon these learnings on how to, you know, how to do so many things, you know, throughout the year, throughout the classroom. And it starts with those relationships building, building that rapport. And so if you believe the young people, we have to let go of assumptions when they tell you who they are, despite appearance, right? So if a transgender and gender, gender diverse youth says, you know what? Teacher, actually, these are my pronouns. These are my pronouns, and this is the name I would like you to refer me by. Let's believe that child, not contest it, and furthermore, affirm that child and say, "Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for letting me know." And 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 not just for that teacher to then respect the, that name and pronouns, but for everyone else in the classroom and in the building. That first and foremost is one of the things that we can do right off the bat that will let that per- young person feel affirmed. And and feel safe that they can that that they are being seen for who they are and their true authentic self. I love Joe that you said. I mean, I, that the relationship piece has to be there, and mm-hmm. that's the that's the core need of any human is to feel that they relate to somebody. Somebody hears them. Somebody sees them, and that's something every teacher can do. So that's that's pretty basic. I appreciate the foundational component, just like we can springboard from there. Like, that's awesome. And the affirmation, I appreciate that so much. Seth, did you have something you wanted to add to that or Gabby? Yeah, I, I can add just on a core, you know, everyday tangible tool level. There are lots of ways that we can you know, consider the ways that gender was constructed for us before we came into the workspace and how does that get retaught? How do we reteach the gender binary in a way that can impact um, young people who break that binary um, in their existence? And how are we creating that inclusive and affirming space? And one of those could even be, you know, at the beginning of reading the roster and having folks call out attendance instead of reading that out loud and using visual cues on the first day of class to see who's where, uh, you know, having a written sheet that students come up and actually cross their own names off on um, so they can let you know if they use a different name and they are not using visual assumptions to see who's there. Uh, those types of small steps can really adjust the dynamics of stress. And so I think the ways we learn those types of strategies is to listen to our students and figure out what those, I would say, maybe hot spots are in our schools. Where are the places where you feel anxiety? And that could be in a restroom setting where, you know, in our home settings, we have a bathroom, there's no sign on the door. The minute we move into public space, we have a sign on the door that's got a picture of a skirt or pants. And immediately people are policing each other with looks or language or physical contact or whatever to say, you don't look like this picture on the door. And so if we can recognize where are those anxiety places for our young people, you know, there is a huge percentage of youth who will avoid using a public multi-occupancy restroom um, because of the experiences that they have had. So they'll avoid, you know, beverage intake or food intake. Uh, if they know that the only single stall restroom in that whole school is on the third floor behind the cafeteria, somewhere very far from their next period class. Um, and, you know, we're talking to all age levels, so it can really vary depending on the school. Um, but it's about those basic needs access points. Um, and mm-hmm. many of us may have buildings that we can't reconstruct or rebuild, but it is about getting creative. And the best way to do that is to listen to the students. And Oregon Department of Education has really partnered with us to do that. They put out a whole Oregon 
student success plan, by listening to youth in focus groups, um, by connecting with community activists and groups that work with youth regularly. And now we're seeing this come to a fruition with a bill that allows for funding for local districts to apply for to start supporting students directly. So um, there's ways that that listening becomes, you know, opportunities for, for growth for a lot of these districts. I really like, Seth, that you said, thank you for your answer. I, I liked how you framed it as where are the places of anxiety or, pla- or sources that might be anxiety provoking? That's a, to me, that seems like a, a student-centered perspective. It's, it's a, a way for us as the teachers or as the counselors or as the people in power in the school building to look at it from the perspective of the student. And I think that ties really nicely into also what Joe, Joe was saying too about, um, just being more relational in our approach um, overall. Gabby, is there anything you would want to add? Any specific tools or strategies? I feel like teachers and staff listening to this would be invested in like, what is something that I could do to improve the outcomes and the safety and welcoming nature of my classroom for our LGBTQIA2S plus population in, in their, in their um, school? I don't really have a lot to add. I think Seth and Joe covered it really nicely. I do think that either supporting ongoing efforts or the development of GSAs in schools are really important. I think that um, as you highlighted and Seth highlighted, the autonomy and student-led efforts to help change school policies and culture are really important. Students often define what they need best because they're the ones that experience it. Um, And when I say GSAs, I mean of gender and sexuality alliances. Um, And so I think that a lot, oftentimes working with GSAs across different school districts, these students are policy experts, right? They have gone into the weeds of figuring out how to get a multi-stall gender inclusive restroom, have worked with amazing coalition partners who's helped support that work statewide. And I think that it goes beyond just a club within the school. It's really a political focus too. And Mm -hmm. to um, listen to those students who are leading those charges to help uplift those and support those in the ways that um, educators and teachers can as stakeholders to create more visibility within their classrooms, create more individual support for the goals and asks that they, that local GSAs will have, I think is a really important way to help change infrastructure. And let me ask a a question about just clarifying the, the, a GSA, would that be something that students run or would you need, like, what would that technically look like in a school from your perspective? Would you need a, what's the ideal setup? Would you want a staff member there? Because you mentioned advocacy, you mentioned like almost like it's a policy driven group from a student, you know, from a student group, but how would they get that going? Let's say um, from within like, let's say a high school or a middle school, would they need a staff member on board or is it ideal to let them navigate that? Yeah. Well, so I wasn't sure, like, um, because most of the time, uh, uh, GSAs do have a, um, a student, a, a teacher supporter. 
that 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 uh, that helps okay. facilitate the group. It's it's student. It's it's typically like student led, but they help with like the convening like of giving the students a, a specific place to go and meet, right? Um, but in terms of like what goes on within the GSA, it's not it's not it's not on the teacher to create cu curriculum or anything like that. They're just there to to be like, hey. I support you. And, yeah. and it might even be like, Hey, I share this identity with you actually. Uh, and so I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not only an ally, but I'm actually, I am one of you as well. Right. Right. And so a lot of the, a lot of times teachers are there to show support um, and also to like help just like give students a safe um, place to show up to like have these conversations, but really empower the students and it's like student led with like what comes out of those conversations and is it is it going to be more towards advocacy is it just a safe place to go with other lgbtq plus students and it's more of a celebratory space um is it a little bit of both there i don't think there's necessarily a curriculum on terms of like this is how you do it but it's definitely it's definitely encouraged that staff is there to help support given the visibility um and 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 like and then if there are further initiatives or um, even calls to action that that's that that teacher can support them in whatever way that contractually they're allowed to, um, and 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 but it, that it really is the voice of the students and that 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 teacher is uplifting those voices where they can. Yes, I love that. No, that was that's such great information. It's. Uh, Students need a space, a safe place to talk and affirm who they are and learn about their, you know, you know, other students are navigating circumstances. So it that feels good. That feels good. Thank you. I just was a little bit worried about what that could look like if there is not a staff member that is an ally for um, our student population. So I appreciate that that follow up, that question, answering that one. Is there anything else you all feel that our OEA listeners um, would need to know? Um, in your work at Basic Rights Oregon, what you all are doing for the LBGTQ plus population, um, anything else that you'd like us to know before we say goodbye today? Come on, Seth, bring us home, friend. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. There's so many ways that we can support and affirm students. Um, I think that students notice when, you know, something happens with their peers uh, and a homophobic or transphobic comment is stated and a teacher doesn't respond and a teacher doesn't reset the values of the space. Um, or if they bring something to a teacher or admin and it's stated that something will be taken place and, and responded to, but there's no follow up. And so having a clear plan of responding to discrimination um, and also having staff practice. How do I interrupt a homophobic or transphobic comment? Um, what does that look like? When I feel awkwardness in myself, um, how do I step into this space of growth? And how do I respond when somebody walks past and says, wow, those shoes are so gay. What is my comment and what is my response to say, hey, 
I didn't know she was have a sexual orientation. Can you come over here for a minute and tell me more about that? Let's have a conversation about your, your effect on your peers when you use that language. I would love to not hear you say that because that's just not okay with our policies here in this space. That's not the values that we hold. That's not the language we wanna hear. Derogatory language, putting our peers down when this is a part of their identity and who they are, right? Um, what are the ways we can move into that space of discomfort as staff? Because it goes such a long way and one affirming provider in their lives can drastically reduce suicide ideation, which we see at like 42% for the trans youth community until their 20, before their 20th birthday. You know, we see at least one attempt for trans youth, 42% of our trans youth are experiencing um, really high suicidality. And so how do we become that affirming provider and just say, I see you, I validate you. And that means that I don't wanna see this taking place in ways that you right. feel negatively impacted. And that goes for racial identity um, and intersecting identities that they hold as well. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is that students want to feel seen, supported, and the biggest way we can do that is to to call things out and make sure we set the values of the space that we want to create for diversity. And to, to tack on to that, you know, because Seth was given that, you know, really sad, but in the re real statistic, mm -hmm. on the flip side of that, if an LGBTQ plus youth has a, a, a caring, consistent adult in their life. And this could very well be that educator and who affirms them, who, you know, believes who they are when they present themselves to them, who uses the correct pronouns for them. That suicidal ideation rate and attempt goes down by 40%. Wow. So again, any, any educator here, you are literally saving young people's lives when you affirm who they are, when you validate who they are, and when you create more inclusive and affirming spaces in your classrooms, you're saving these young people's lives. That is fantastic. I could listen to that every day. Very powerful. I want to thank you, all of you for joining me today. I know we're in the middle of Pride Month as we're re, uh, recording this here. So uh, Joe, Seth, and Gabby, thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to be with all of us today. We, we sure appreciate what you're doing for our state and students within it. Thank you so much. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.